0: Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 41 of the PopeCast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story, but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. Once again, we happily give a quick thanks to our sponsors over at Catholic Balm Co. Odds are there's someone in your life, maybe it's you, whose beard is slowly resembling an Eastern patriarch more and more as the weeks of No Barber's Dragon. I know that's the case with me. Or maybe the will to shower just hasn't been there. Um, Not me, for the record. Either way, check out all of the great handmade products they have over there at Catholic Balm Co., from beard balms and solid cologne for the guys to lotion bars and lip balm for the ladies. Plus, not only are the guys behind Catholic Balm Co. some of the finest I know, but personally, I have been using their products for several years now, and the proceeds all go to fund important Catholic youth ministry work Around the world. So while you're listening to this, head over to CatholicBalm.co and order some some for you and a friend. That's CatholicBalm.co and enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E at checkout. So fans of the Popecast, thankfully, get uh, 10% off their entire order with that promo code. So once again, that's CatholicBalm.co and the the uh, the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co for sponsoring the Popecast. So this episode is the third and final, hopefully long-awaited installment in a series on one of the finest men to steer the bark of St. Peter in the 2,000-year history of the Church. He was the first non-Italian pope in almost 500 years, and the youngest in over a century, having been elected at the young papal age of 58. He also would have the third longest reign in history, serving as pope for almost 27 years and trailing only Pope Pius IX and St. Peter himself in terms of longevity. He's one of the most traveled world leaders in history, and the most visible, after logging over 680,000 miles as Pope and being seen in person by half a billion people. Once more on the Popecast, it's the 263rd successor of St. Peter, the Pope who destroyed communism, St. John Paul II. As we mentioned in parts one and two, the life of St. John Paul II can and has filled dozens, if not hundreds, of books by this point. So even if we did 20 installments on the great sainted pope, we definitely couldn't do him justice. Even still, just one, of course, could never be enough, like we normally do for popes. So part one covered John Paul's early life. Part two featured his priesthood and life as bishop, archbishop, and cardinal. So this final installment as you might have uh, guessed, will be an attempt to touch on the highlights of his landmark papacy and the legacy he's left in the 15 short years since his 2005 death. I say an attempt, of course, because, gosh, there are there are probably literally hundreds of different angles one might take for a papal bio like this. I mean, heck, in the time it's taken me to write this, just in the last week or so, the former pope himself, Benedict XVI, has just released a letter on John Paul II's life to celebrate the the centenary of his birth, the 100th anniversary of his birth, which, by the way, if you haven't already, you can find in audio form as a bonus episode of the PopeCast released just prior to the one you're listening to now. So if you'd, if you'd rather not read it and you'd rather listen to it as an audiobook form, uh, you can find that exclusively from the PopeCast. So in any case, it's straightforward enough to tell the story of any pope's early life, even one like St. John Paul II, but to tell the story of this man's papacy is quite another thing entirely, if nothing else, because we're still more or less living with his presence in the church ever before our eyes. From a historical standpoint, at least, history is still unfolding, right? But nevertheless, we'll give it the old college try, so bear with us, and, and we'll do as best as we can to reveal just what kind of gift this man was to the church and to the world. Where we last left off, Cardinal Carol Wojtyla was being dropped off at the Krakow airport after receiving the stunning news of Pope John Paul I's untimely death just 33 days into his pontificate. It was October 1978, and this was about to become just the 12th year of three popes in the history of the papacy, and the first in nearly four centuries, those rare years, of course, where three men sit in this chair of Peter over a calendar year. So a guy dies, another one gets elected, dies prematurely, and another guy gets elected a third man to finish out the year and beyond. So as a quick aside, for any stat buffs out there, there actually was even one year of four popes, and that was in 1276, where the subject of PopeCast episode two, Blessed Gregory X, died. Innocent V lasted for six months. Adrian V lasted for barely one month, and then John XXI uh, took over that September. But can you imagine something like that happening today? Anyways, as the cardinals gathered in conclave in October 1978, the first day of voting went by without much fanfare. Two Italian cardinals were reportedly deadlocked, as per usual, but on day two, things began to shift, and votes for the young Polish cardinal began to stack up. One cardinal said later, quote, when the number of votes for him approached one half of what was needed, he cast away his pencil and sat up straight. He was red in the face, then he was holding his head in his hands, end quote. On October 16th, Enough votes were cast to elect Cardinal Wojtyla as the 262nd man to sit in the chair of Peter. For those keeping score at home, of course, remember Benedict IX was pope three different times, so he was pope number 264, John Paul was, but man number 262. He chose as his name John Paul II, both to honor his predecessor, and some might say fulfill his prophecy that another John Paul would follow, and to give a nod to both John XXIII and Paul VI, given his work at the Second Vatican Council and how its works would deeply influence his own papacy for nearly three decades. He was the first non-Italian cardinal in 455 years, the last being the Dutch Adrian VI, who was elected and reigned for just about a year in 1522. As one might imagine, the Polish people went nuts when they heard that one of their countrymen was elected pope. Church bells rang throughout the nation, people reportedly flooded into the streets and rejoicing, and most importantly, the Soviet government was left wringing its hands and shaking its fists, wondering how they could have let a man like that even become a cardinal, let alone become pope. Their efforts to limit his image and any news of him in the media only showed their pettiness and desperation. Soon after his election, John Paul II traveled to Mexico. It was the first of his 104 apostolic journeys to 129 different countries over the course of his papacy, both in order, uh, going to Mexico, both in order to accept the trip that was offered by pilgrims to John Paul I, and also to visit the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, in which resides the miraculous 500-year-old image given to St. Juan Diego in the 1500s. Jason Everett, in his excellent book, St. John Paul the Great, His Five Loves, quoted American Cardinal Justin Regali about that trip. "...it was there at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, at the feet of the Blessed Mother, that he understood what God was asking him to do, which was to take the Gospels to the ends of the earth. He understood that it was to be a very significant part of his pontificate, traveling around the world to proclaim Jesus Christ." Though that was his first apostolic visit as Pope, it was his second, a trip to Poland in 1979, that would end up changing the course of history forever. Now known as the Nine Days That Changed the World... There's a great documentary, by the way, by Newt Gingrich, the former American politician, which bears the same title and is really a fantastic coverage of these particular nine days. But in any case, John Paul II was reluctantly allowed back into his homeland, despite the communists doing everything in their power to prevent it. His hope was to visit for two days in May to celebrate the 900th anniversary of the martyrdom of St. Stanislaus, patron of Poland, at the hands of a corrupt Polish king. But... The optics were no good for the Soviets, as one might imagine, so they said no dice. But as a compromise, John Paul was offered nine days in June to travel to six different cities across Poland. Though the visit was monumental, of course, throughout, drawing millions of elated Poles, something like a third to half of the entire country came out to see him in person at some point on the trip. The apex of the journey was a mass in Warsaw's Victory Square on June 2, 1979. 300,000 people gathered, and his homily was interrupted several times with ovations from the crowd, one of which lasted 14 minutes, and all of which heard chants, something along the lines of, we want God, we want God. The communists, to say the least, were wrong when they hoped that by being made pope that John Paul II would turn his attentions elsewhere from Poland to other nations and issues. In his homily from the platform in Victory Square, he thundered, Quote, Christ cannot be kept out of the history of man in any part of the globe, at any longitude or latitude of geography. Right then the crowd broke out in song, chanting the Christus Vincit, Latin for Christ Conquers. John Paul slowly lifted his head, as you can see if you look this up, a wide smile on his face and his hands raised to heaven. As I suspect he may have known then, it was the beginning of the end for the Soviet oppressors. His people would soon be free. What a way to start his reign as successor of St. Peter, right? There were still 26 more years to go in this great man's uh, journey as universal pastor of the Catholic Church. In writing about how prolific John Paul II was in just about every area of his life as Pope, Jason Everett notes that, quote, his life was an expression of his conviction that the priest ought to be, I'm quoting John Paul now, a generous and tireless evangelizer, end quote. I mentioned at the outset that he's been the most traveled pope ever, making it a priority to see and touch as many of his people as possible. Remember, a priest or a bishop aren't just the shepherd of the Catholic souls in their realm, in their parish or their diocese, but all of the souls. And John Paul embodied that. Across his trips to Ireland and America later in 1979, as one example, a journalist wrote, quote, he had traveled 10,000 miles in nine days seen 10 million people, slept an average of four and a half hours a night, and delivered 72 discourses, end quote. He was full of energy and an iron will, long into the years when most people are thinking of starting to kick back and retire. When asked about the rigor of his daily life and when he ever got some free time, he would quip, All my time is free. In fact, those who managed his travel schedule, along with the people he met in his travels, knew well that the Pope was never in a rush, a priest who assisted him once said, quote, to him, the value of the present person always outweighed the value of where we were going, because we'd get there eventually, end quote. There are countless examples, but one in particular was from that of a Swiss guard, the Pope's security detail, who was working the night shift on Christmas Eve, 1986. Everett recounts the story in his book. On Christmas Eve of 1986, a Swiss guard named Andreas Widmer was standing at his post when John Paul exited, twenty feet away on his way to the Midnight Mass. The Holy Father didn't recognize the young man and called out, You're new. What's your name? The Pope approached him, noticed his reddened eyes, and immediately perceived what was happening. This is your first Christmas away from home, isn't it? The guard recalled. I replied in the affirmative, barely holding back tears as I answered. Yet again, he stepped closer, pausing just inches from me this time, taking my hand with one hand, and holding my elbow with the other. He pulled me slightly towards him, looking at me with his deep, gray eyes, and said, Andreas, I want to thank you for the sacrifice you are making for the Church. I will pray for you during Mass this evening. To John Paul, the person who is working is always more important than the work the person is doing. John Paul believed a great deal in giving the faithful good and holy examples of what Vatican II dubbed the, quote, universal call to holiness— the reality that not just priests and nuns, but every human person is called to a virtuous and upright life lived in service to God and neighbor. As a result, he canonized 482 saints and declared 1,338 more to be blessed, the step just before canonization known as beatification. For context of just how many that was, all of the previous popes before him, uh, at least after the formalization of the road to sainthood into a more rigorous process just about 500 years earlier, had canonized only 302 in total. John Paul was also a tireless defender of the dignity of the human person and a zealous pursuer of souls. This rung out in his impassioned addresses to the United Nations in 1979 and 1995, in his many writings and speeches on the sanctity of life from conception to natural death, as well as on the rights of workers and citizens to be granted dignity by their employers and governments. Both were close to his Polish heart. His mother's doctor, in fact, had encouraged her to abort him due to her health complications, and the horrific working conditions in Poland for virtually the entirety of his life was surely never far from his mind. He had many seemingly superhuman gifts as well, one of which was the ability of a sort of multiplied concentration. He literally could be reading one book and have someone be reading another book aloud to him, and absorb both. He also had an impeccable memory. John Paul apparently had every diocese and bishop's name in the entire world committed to memory, and he literally never forgot a face. One story, to give an example of this, I believe it was a former American bishop, was venturing to Rome for his ad limina visit, the visit once every five or so years for bishops to meet with the pope and give an update on his diocese. So his bishop said, nice to meet you, when he walked up to John Paul upon arriving, But the Pope said, this is not the first time we've met. The bishop was apparently pretty sure of himself, having no recollection of meeting a figure as towering as John Paul and insisted, no, I don't believe we have. But even uh, afterwards, John Paul pressed him once more. He ended up leaving it aside and went on with the conversation. But after having left the Pope's office later on, John Paul's secretary stopped the bishop in the hall and said, if the Holy Father says he remembers you, then it definitely happened. He said it was 1962, on the steps of the Church of the Jesu in Rome, when you were a young seminarian. And lo and behold, the bishop, though he hadn't thought about that day in decades, indeed remembered, randomly meeting a young bishop from Poland that day. As far as monumental moments in the life of his papacy, chief among them, as many may remember or have read about, is an attempt that was made on John Paul II's life in 1981, as he was greeting pilgrims in St. Peter's Square. The assassin fired four shots from point-blank range, two of which hit him, and which almost certainly should have killed John Paul instantly. But, as the Pope has attributed, and did attribute during his recovery, a mother's hand guided the bullet's path, saving his life. Interestingly enough, the date of the attempt was May 13th, none other than the anniversary of the Virgin Mary's apparition to the shepherd children in Fátima, Portugal, and the coincidence was not lost on him doctors, upon doing surgery on the Pope's wounds, found that the bullet missed his aortic valve by mere millimeters. One year later, on the anniversary of the attempt, John Paul II made a pastoral visit to the Fatima Shrine in Portugal, giving thanks to the Virgin Mary for sparing his life, and he even went so far as to place the bullet from the attack in the statue of Mary's crown, where it resides to this day. John Paul created and presided over several World Youth Days, given his love for young people. It was a biannual global event that still goes on today, of young people which are consistently among the largest gatherings of human beings in history. The 1995 World Youth Day, for example, in Manila, attracted an estimated 5 to 7 million pilgrims, which remains the largest papal gathering ever, according to the Vatican. John Paul II remained active throughout the 1980s. Despite the assassination attempts, there was one other one that was lesser known, wasn't uh, found out until 2008, but the 1990s weren't so kind to him. He was in his 70s by then and suffered through a series of ailments that progressively slowed him down. A benign tumor in 1992, falls in 93 and 94, which produced a dislocated shoulder and a broken femur, respectively, and then an appendectomy in 1996. By 2001, John Paul was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, Officially, but still traveled extensively, mainly being shuttled around instead of walking by that point, about of the flu in early 2005, ushered in the Pope's final days, and sadly took away his powerful speaking voice for the remaining two months of his life. John Paul II died on April 2, 2005, at the age of 84, having slipped into a coma several hours earlier after saying in Polish to his secretary, Let me depart to my father's house. It was Divine Mercy Sunday, a fitting date given the work he had done to promote the message of divine mercy. The visions of Jesus were recounted by the Polish nun St. Faustina, describing the immense mercy that resides in the heart of God for any person who seeks it out. Pope Benedict himself, in his recent letter mentioned at the beginning of this episode, commemorating the 100th anniversary of John Paul's birth, noted that this, the divine mercy, was his greatest gift to the church and the world, that through the mystery of salvation, Through Jesus Christ taking on our sins, being crucified, and then conquering death in the resurrection. Quote, God's mercy is intended for every individual. His funeral is said to have set records for not just attendance, but also for attendance by world leaders and other dignitaries. Four kings, five queens, and over seventy presidents and prime ministers were in attendance, not to mention over a dozen leaders from other religions as well. Four million faithful gathered in and around Vatican City to mourn the loss of perhaps the greatest and most influential human being of the 20th century. As I mentioned at the outset, John Paul's legacy is still in many ways being played out. And yet the fruit of his work is everywhere in the church today. One doesn't have to look very hard. His intense devotion to Mary, to the Blessed Sacrament, to young people, to a Catholicism that is smart, and not one that simply blindly follows the movements of the generations before us, nor waters it down, All have resulted in a sort of new springtime for the church, at least in the places that have been willing to set their own egos aside, to put the church on mission instead of staying in maintenance mode, managing its own decline. You'd be hard-pressed to find a large Catholic family nowadays who doesn't have a John Paul in the bunch. If you want to know what John Paul II was about, look no further than the very first homily he gave as Bishop of Rome, his inaugural address. And it's here that we close this episode and this series on a true Pope's Pope. In preaching to a world in the midst of an identity crisis, to a church still on the heels of a council that had been all but hijacked by men seeking to make the church again in their own image, to a people wondering what might come from this Pope from a, quote, faraway country, as John Paul said, when he appeared in the loggia for the first time after being elected, he reminded his people where their help comes from. And here's John Paul. The absolute and yet sweet and gentle power of the Lord responds to the whole depths of the human person, to his loftiest aspirations of intellect, will, and heart. It does not speak the language of force, but expresses itself in charity and truth. The new successor of Peter in the Sea of Rome today makes a fervent, humble, and trusting prayer. Christ, make me become and remain the servant of your unique power, the servant of your sweet power the servant of your power that knows no eventide. Make me a servant, indeed the servant of your servants. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to welcome Christ and accept his power. Help the Pope and all those who wish to serve Christ and with Christ's power to serve the human person and the whole of mankind. Do not be afraid. Open, open wide the doors for Christ. To his saving power open the boundaries of states, economic and political systems, the vast fields of culture, civilization, and development. Do not be afraid. Christ knows what is in man. He alone knows it. So often today man does not know what is within him, in the depths of his mind and heart. So often he is uncertain about the meaning of his life on earth. He is assailed by doubt, a doubt which turns into despair we ask you, therefore, we beg you with humility and trust, let Christ speak to man. He alone has words of life. Yes, of eternal life. End quote. Well, thank you as always for listening, and thanks especially to any new listeners of the PopeCast. We're so glad to have you. Whether you're a new or returning listener of the PopeCast, if you'd like to help ensure episodes like these can continue to be produced— please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the So patrons get early access to every new PopeCast episode and some other fun stuff, depending on the level you pick. So there's the Peter tier at $1 per episode, the Linus tier at $2 per episode, Clement at $4, and there's even a Benedict the Ninth tier where we'll crank call your enemies pretending to be the Pope for just $149 an episode. At any rate, check it out if you haven't yet at patreon.com slash the PopeCast. Also, a quick shout-out to our two newest reviewers over at iTunes. Thanks a ton for those five-star reviews from JDP Jr. and Bunny of Honor. If you haven't left yours and you're enjoying the podcast, please just take a few seconds after this episode and pop over to leave yours, too. The more reviews we get, the more likely the podcast is seen and listened to by others, so we're grateful for that uh, support there as well. And then lastly, of course, if you're interested in between new episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at the Popecast for daily Pope quotes and old photos. As we close this episode, we ask for the intercession of Pope St. John Paul II. And since this is being released in 2020, on the day of his birth, a very happy 100th heavenly birthday, may we all emulate the virtues and the faith of this great and humble man who points, as always, towards Jesus Christ. Pope St. John Paul II, pray for us. Until next time.